Well, again, everyone, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Happy New Year uh, to those of you who, I don't know, celebrate New Year. Um, you know, make it a big deal, and it's and it's a good thing. If you have New Year's resolutions, maybe some of you watching online or that are here this morning that may be like, hey, I want to go to church. That's great. Um, uh, I, uh, I'm going to try cutting gluten out for a month. We're going to try that. It's probably going to be impossible, but I'm going to try. Uh, can't hurt. Maybe it can. Um, Happy New Year. What we're going to do this year, which I'm excited about, I really am. I'm excited about what we're going to be doing. Um, as you can see, uh, we're going to be jumping into a new series, a new sermon series. We're going to take this probably through uh, the, sometime in May, the end of May, um, right before summer really hits. And we're going to be in the book of, of Hebrews, and I'm really excited about this. This is uh, something that we normally do as far as how we preach uh, at Hope, and specifically at Lower Town, what we enjoy, I enjoy personally, uh, enjoy doing, and that is preaching. Uh, it's called expository preaching, uh, where we take a book of the Bible and we just walk through it. Uh, what does this book mean? Now, we do topical series. We just ended one um, and uh, on just Jesus is the hope of the world. And so that's great. And so we just look at how Jesus answers all these questions that we might have about our society. Uh, looked at politics and a lot of different topics that are, that are prevalent in our culture right now. Um, but the way and why we do expository preaching is, and we open up a book, specifically now Hebrews, and we walk through it is because there's topics that are going to be um, talked about in the passage that normally maybe as, a, as an individual, I might go, oh, man, I wish we didn't have to talk about that. And, but guess what? You can't do that. If we skip a chapter, um, I'm hoping that the church would text call and be like, hey, well, how come we didn't talk about that? Um, and so this is why we, we do that. It's a way to just really dig into what scriptures are teaching. Um, I think it's probably the best way to study the scriptures rather than flipping around and finding a verse that talks about this one particular thing or you know, a passage that talks about this. We just walk through and it helps us understand scripture in a better way. And I think if you had to pick a book to teach um, an expository series and sermon series through and read and study in such a way, if there was one book that you could pick that would be a big help to help us understand the full picture and scope of Scripture, it's Hebrews. Um, I love the book of Hebrews. And, and one of my favorite, you guys know I quote R.C. Sproul all the time, and one of his, this is hands down his favorite book, just because it gives us Old and New Testament. And this was actually, so Drew, Pastor Drew, uh, he's kind of our graphics guy. He kind of came up with this of like, we're kind of going out from the Old Testament and into the, into the new, into the clear, where we start to see things more clearly now. Um, instead of being dimly lit in a cave, it's, it's big and it's beautiful. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. And so Drew was passing around his uh, graphics. And I just was like, Jesus is greater. Kind of sounds like cheese greater. Is this a thing? Yes. For the low price of $39.99, you can get a cheese grater. That is exactly, uh, that has the image of Jesus. Uh, it says, great is our Lord uh, on it. And, and, and this is a thing. And so what was funny, though, is Pastor Cor then emailed me back. I've got a hair on me. It's driving me nuts. I apologize. Um, he emails me back, and he, all of us, and he just said, oh, we found our new graphics guy. And I was like, unfortunately, I didn't make this. This is actually a thing that you can purchase. And so I've got to be careful now for the rest of the, the uh, year when we're preaching through this to not misspell greater. Um, Jesus is greater than everything, and we're going to look at that. So specifically, we're going to do an introduction to Hebrews, spend some time unpacking this uh, book about well, what is it all about, who's it for, who wrote it, do we, all these different things, which I get excited about. Uh, I get to kind of nerd out with this kind of stuff, but just looking at the first four verses today, 
of looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. But before we get there, I want to unpack some things. And what I think is one of the most beautiful aspects of this book, in my prayer, I spent some time on my knees praying this morning, that we would see Jesus. That as we look and unpack the book of Hebrews, that Jesus would become more clear, he would become more precious, he would become more beautiful, that we would see him for who he truly is. And we would just fall in love with him over and over and over again. In John chapter 12, verse 21, and I have this memorized in the King James uh, version, but, but there's some Greeks, some, so they come up to him, to, then they come up to the, the disciples and they say, in the King James, we would see Jesus. Just we want, can we, we want to see Jesus is what they're asking. And, and they're begging to see Jesus. And I hope that that's our prayer, that we would see Jesus, that as we really get to see how the old and the new mix together and make this beautiful tapestry that just says, this is all about Jesus and that he's greater than even the ones that were mentioned in the Old Testament. So let's just talk about the Bible. That's all I had. Just like I got a slide in the Bible. I don't have a lot of slides and images this week, but just look at the Bible. What is this all about? When we talk about the Old and New Testament, sometimes people say, oh, the Old is old-fashioned. Uh, it's not our God. It's a God of warfare and judgment. But the New, New Testament, that's the God of love. That's where we get Jesus. And I want to say, no, 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 it's all the same. But we just don't fully understand. So we have 66 books written by 40-plus different authors over, over in three different languages. And it was written thousands of years ago. Even our newest books are almost 2,000 years old. Is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? Can we actually take the word of God to be the word of God? It's so old. Is it, what about translations? And, and I could say, you know, check out the podcast, Sunday Rewind, um, and we look at scripture. And how do we get our Bible? And actually, what to me, one of the greatest apologetics, the greatest defense for the faith is, I believe, actually how we got our Bible. It is uncanny how incredibly... Um, Accurate it is. Even and every every year they find more uh, new like old manuscripts that just happen to line up exactly uh, with what we have. It's really really fantastic. Which I I just I love that aspect of our scriptures. And how can we know this? Well, we know this is also true about Jesus. But that Jesus said this. The whole Bible is about me. He says this in John chapter five. He says, "You study the scriptures diligently." He's talking to some some Pharisees, some some lawyers who know the Bible. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think that I, it puffs me up. I know the Bible. I have it memorized. He says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. And what are the scriptures? At this point, when Jesus is talking, it's only the Old Testament. And he's saying the entire Old Testament testifies about me. It's all about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says it again in Luke chapter 24, 25 through 27. He says to them, how foolish you are. He's walking on the road uh, to Emmaus and he's talking with some disciples and he, and that, that, that think they know Jesus, that think they know the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things in order to enter his glory? Right? They were sad because Jesus just died. We thought he was going to be the Messiah, but he died and we're all bummed out. He's like, hello, we knew this was going to happen. And then he says, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. 
We teach this in our systematic theology class, this idea of progressive revelation, that we start with some idea that might not fully be understood. Let's take the Trinity, for example. We take that and we say, okay, how was the Trinity understood and this doctrine of the Trinity understood in the Old Testament? I don't know, it was kind of murky. Maybe some things are clear, but it's, I'm not really sure if there's three. I see Father and Spirit, but I'm not so sure about the Son aspect. And, but as Scripture continues to reveal, our knowledge and understanding continues to, to grow and grow and grow as it's being revealed further and further and further. It's similar to this fancy Latin phrase called census plenier, and what that is, and, and uh, uh, William, Andrew Lang, excuse me, um, or William Lang, where is it? William Lang, he, uh, he's a commentary, he's a nerd, 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 um, in a good way. I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, but in his commentary, uh, he just has this idea, it's, it's this prism, if you will, that we get to look back now in context with Christ that we now have this prism of Christ that we get to look at the Old Testament and actually fully expose the true, full, actual meaning of some of these passages that talk about Jesus. And this idea of progressive revelation, this census plenier, uh, one of the easiest, most beautiful ways to do this is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, every meal, uh, my kid, you know, Henry, he's three, that he always says, read the Jesus Storybook Bible, read the Storybook Bible, read the Storybook And it's like, well, hey, we're eating. Maybe wait till we're done and then we'll, we'll read a story. But we do this. And my son, who's only three, he's, he already knows um, a big time the outline of the Bible, right? Because he just, he's in the Word and he wants to read it. Now, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't fully grasp it. But it's a beautiful book. And it's funny is because he'll actually, he knows the timeline. So if he wants to read about like um, Daniel in the lion's den, and it's in the Old Testament. What, but instead of saying like, you know, in the old, go that way, like in the book, he, he does this because he swipes. He wants to go pages that way. So he swipes this way, which I think is cute. Anyways, everything in this book, all these stories though, that every single chapter it ends, he's talking about the servant girl and King Nahum, excuse me, King Nahum, Naaman, who has leprosy and this whole story and it ends every chapter says, but there's going to be another servant who's going to come, who's going to heal people. We'll talk about um, David and how he was born in the city of David and all these different things. There's going to be another baby that's going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to be greater. There's going to be um, another uh, man named Jonah who's going to preach salvation to the lost, people who need to hear about God and the good news of Jesus. And he's going to spend three days in darkness. And, and she says, Sally Lloyd-Jones, the, the author of this, she says, but there's somebody else who's going to also spend three days in darkness, who's going to preach light to the dark world. This is what the entire Bible is about. It all screams Jesus. It's kind of like, and I, and I was thinking about this, like what, is, what would this be like? And how do we miss this so much when we read our Old Testament? To me, it was kind of like memorizing for a test. Um, if, you're, if you're like me, uh, how, I mean, like, for example, a math test. I don't, I don't remember math at all. I can hardly divide. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know. That's like, that's like second grade you learn division. I don't remember how to do it. Why? Because you would just cram, 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 cram before a test, right? And just, just to pass, just to get through it. And then it's all gone, right? It's all out the window. I remember in, in uh, high school, it was my sophomore year, I took Algebra 2. And our teacher allowed us to use, and we could fit in as much information as we wanted on a three-by-five card. And my, the, the teacher's daughter, she was in my class, and she actually... Uh, came up with this idea, just use three different color pens and write in different angles. And so it was basically having three three-by-five cards. And so, um, and she couldn't get in trouble because she was the teacher's daughter. And so we all did that and we all passed. Imagine that. But we forget it. 
And I think we read the Old Testament and we go and we just, we take these little stories or these morals and we forget and we don't realize there's something more here. You can actually apply this knowledge unlike Algebra 2. What we see in this book though is we're gonna see eight times, eight times this phrase, Jesus is better, Jesus is greater, Jesus is more, Jesus is superior. And that's why we have this, because the entire Old Testament screams, Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. So let's get into this. Who wrote it? This is where I have fun as a pastor. This is where I earn my paycheck. Uh, This is where seminary starts to pay back, uh, which I'm excited about. So you're taking a lot of information. Uh, I've taken multiple classes on Hebrews. um, And I'm going to take all that information and I'm going to jam it into about five minutes here. Okay, So, so just hold on tight. But who who wrote it? This is interesting because if you look at, if you, if you grew up in, like me in the church and you, um, we only read the King James version of the Bible, but when you open up to Hebrews, it'll actually say written by the, or by the apostle Paul. Like it just right there in bold letters, Hebrews, the apostle written by the apostle Paul. And which is a ridiculous statement. You can't say that. There are multiple books written probably about 15, 20 people about who could the author possibly be um, it was somebody that we, we know it was either someone really close to Paul who used language like Paul. Maybe Paul was even teaching them while they were writing. There's a, lot, there's a lot of that. Maybe they influenced Paul. So that's where it could be Priscilla. Um, uh, she was very influential with Paul. Um, so maybe she wrote it, um, which is why uh, I will and I probably will when I talk about the author of Hebrews. I'll say the author of Hebrews or I'll say he, she, because we don't know. Um, I had a, a, my defensive line coach in college, his name was Dr. Malmanger, and he was this little old man, had this white chin strap beard, um, and he uh, was a statistician and a Greek scholar. And so he wrote his doctorate, his dissertation, he didn't write his doctorate, he wrote his dissertation on what, what is the statistical probability that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews in comparison to his other Greek language and books. And his conclusion to his entire study and dissertation was, no idea. It might be, it might not be, we don't know, right? Which, I wish I could get a doctorate that said, I don't know, yeah, I might have no idea. Uh, Origen, probably the, one of the closest early church fathers uh, in 135 AD, so very close to even when this book was written, um, not even, you know, not even 100 years later, he says, but as to the truth of the matter, only God knows, <laughs> right? We just don't know. But what we do know is this is a really good book. It is theologically sound. It's been accepted by the church for thousands of years. It was accepted by the the apostles early on. So that's who wrote it. No idea. No idea. Not important, really. Who too? Another football analogy, but this one's a football analogy. Every time we'd play soccer, um, that someone would pass the ball, but it was just like out in the middle of nowhere, our whole team would yell. It was just like to shame them. I'm not sure why we did that really, but we'd all yell, who to, who to, who you, who you, right? Who, who is Hebrews writing this book to? Well, Hebrews, <laughs> right? It's the, the name of the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. What's that mean? Well, it's Jewish Christians, right? There are individuals who were Jewish that, that were saved, that believed in Jesus as the Messiah, And so they convert to Christianity 
But then there was this, this idea of Gnosticism that kind of started to creep into the church, which meant flesh is bad. Jesus had flesh, therefore that's bad. And they started going, okay, maybe he's not the Messiah. And, and we're going to see this language of hold fast, no, remain in the faith of this language. of Let's not lose this. Let's not go back to the ways of old. Let's stay here. Let's look at Christ and continue to examine Christ. And, and uh, again, William Lang, he just says this, the cumulative weight of the evidence points to men and women who participate in small house fellowship, loosely related to other house churches in an urban setting, whose theological vocabulary and conceptions were informed by the rich legacy of Hellenistic Judaism, uh, most likely living in Rome. So probably in Rome, these little house churches, we don't really do that a lot in our society, in our culture, obviously with these big buildings, although there are people at home, you know, I guess maybe you could call that a house church. Um, through through technology, not really sure, but they would these little groups of people, and they would and they would read these books, and so this this um, letter would have circulated around to these these house churches of of Jews who had converted to Christianity, um, and that's who it was written for. When was it written? Well, this is actually one of those books um, that's kind of interesting because we we actually have a pretty good idea of when it was written based on just what was what's in the text. Um, one of them is that we, we, we know it's after uh, 64 AD because Rome had already burned. Nero had already started persecuting the Christians. That's evident in the writing. Uh, but we know it was before, uh, most likely before 68, which gives us a four-year four window because uh, that's when Nero committed suicide. I would imagine that probably would have made it big enough news into the text. But that didn't, that's not there. But for sure before 70 AD when uh, the Romans destroyed the temple. Uh, and because it says that the sacrifices are continuing to this day. They wouldn't be continuing if there was no temple, okay? So, so we know it's right around there, 64 to 70. Is it important? I think it kind of is, because Christians are being persecuted big time at this time. It's, it's against the law to be a Christian. So you can imagine then, at that time, oh man, I, there's a temptation now to go back to Judaism. They're not being persecuted. Only these Christians are. And I, I know it sounds good, and I want to love this, and it's set me free but man, I don't want to be persecuted. There's a lot of that language that happens. So I do think that that's actually very important. So the last aspect is why. So who wrote it? Who to? When was it written? But why? What is Hebrews all about? And I, every time I ask that question, I always think of, um, uh, what is this, the Avengers, when they finally meet, and uh, I forget his name, but Chris Pratt's character, what's his character's name? Star-Lord, that's right. Where he, he says, uh, yeah, where is where is uh, where is Gamora? You know, I'll I'll do you one better. Where is Gamora? And then and then Iron Man says, I'll do you one better. Who is Gamora? And then Drax says, I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? And what I love about that line in that movie is that was actually improv. That was actually not in the script, and it's it's just funny. It's a funny line. Why is Gamora? Because um, it has nothing to do with the context, and neither does uh, this morning when I'm talking about this at all. So, but why? Why Hebrews? Why? What does it mean? Right, so here's, I'm going to do something a little differently this morning. Um, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you just go ahead and stand, stretch your legs. Let's, let's read this out loud together. If you're at home, feel free to stand as well. Um, I won't know if you do or not, so that's okay. Um, let's go ahead and read this out loud. This is Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. It says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior as the angels, as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Thank you. You may be seated. That's the passage we're going to be looking at for the remainder of our time. Just four verses, and yet there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack. Starting here in verse 1, this is one of those that I have memorized in the King James, and I, and I think back, I'm like, what in the world does that even mean? Uh, and the King James says, God in sundry times and in divers places has spoken to us through prophets of old. You got to sound like Gandalf when you, when you read it like that. In sundry times. Okay, what's it mean? This is what it means. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Right? He's talking about the Old Testament, that God spoke through this and spoke through this in the Old Testament. We already talked about this in the Jesus Storybook Bible, but we've talked about this from the pulpit as we walk through Exodus and every single week as we preach in the book of Exodus, we can say Jesus is the hero even of Exodus. That was we walked through Job as COVID started. As we're walking through Job and we see the suffering servant every single week, we can say this is about Jesus. As we walk through Nehemiah and this man of prayer, we can say this is all about Jesus. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is starting to do. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But now, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days, we spent some time as we were going through First and Second Peter looking at what does last days mean. And we have this phrase that we've adopted, already but not yet. Already, Jesus has already come. Jesus has already died for my sins. He's already set me free from that. And yet, he hasn't returned yet. And yet, I still sin. I still choose to sin and I then therefore choose to suffer. I do that all the time because, yes, he set me free, and yet I constantly decide to obey my old master of, of sin all the time. Those are the last days. Already, but not yet. There's this idea of imminence, though, that he can return at any minute. He can return to us any moment, and yet he waits. Why does he wait? As Again, as we looked at Second Peter this summer, it's because he's waiting for more people to put their faith in Christ. He wants more people to glorify and honor him. Does it make sense to me fully? No. I see the suffering in the world. And again, that, that Hebrew word, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Already not yet. But there is this imminence. And as I was reading, I had these old books. Uh, my, my dad was a pastor, and he was given a lot of these books. And there's one, one commentary I was kind of going through that was on Hebrews. Uh, and it has actual paper, uh, if you remember what that stuff is. And I was looking at, I was reading through this commentary, but it was uh, his pastors before him. That, and so my dad, it was, he gave it to my dad. Or I don't know how he got it. Either my dad stole it or, or it was given to him. I don't know. Um, but there was this phrase that was written in it. All right, so just remember this phrase. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So he's saying that God has revealed who he is more fully, right? This prism we could now look back. And, and, and he says this, it's just, you can't really read it, but it's just written there on the side. And it says this, it says, Christ's teaching inferior to his person. Christ's teaching inferior to his person. And I was reading that, and I'm like, what? How, what do you mean? Because, no, 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 because Jesus is the word. 
Jesus is the word of God. And so by him speaking and what he said is God, it is the message. You can't, it's not inferior that there's, when I read the scriptures, I go, no, Jesus is the word and the word became flesh. And so therefore the word is God, the living word of God. And so I immediately went back to uh, Raiders of the Lark, uh, Raiders of the Lark, Raiders of the Ark, uh, Last Crusade, uh, and, and, you know, rest in peace, Sean Connery, uh, who's uh, uh, Indiana Jones' dad. And, and Indiana Jones is, is saying something, and, and he just says, Jesus. And as before he can even finish saying Jesus, Sean Connery slaps him across the face, and, you know, and he kind of takes Indiana Jones off guard, and, and he goes, that's for blasphemy, right? Because he's taking God's name in vain. And that's Christ teaching inferior to his person. That's blasphemous. His word, his teaching is him. That's for blasphemy. Why? Because context, context, context. Because just read the next verse. But in these last days, Jesus has spoken, sorry, God the Father has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. When we think about the Trinity, and I've mentioned this before, but when we think about the Trinity, that God, just eons, eons past, that God and Trinity, but there, he's there in the universe somewhere <laughs> doing his thing in, in eternity past. And as his thoughts of himself go out, if you could change anything about yourself. If you could fix something about you, and that might be a physical appearance. That might be, uh, I wish I was smarter. I wish I was more intelligent. I wish I could grasp uh, algebra two, whatever it is, right? I would change this thing about myself. But as God's thoughts go out and say, this is what would be better than myself, there's nothing that can be found. And so his thoughts then turn back on himself and he gets this perfect, beautiful image of who he is, the fullness of himself. And that is the son. That is the word, true God, truly human truly flesh, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So moving forward, it says after he, that's Jesus, has pro had provided purification for sins. Right, Hebrews is picking up now after the story. He's saying we already know what happened, right? He, he sat down at the right hand of God of the majesty in heaven. Right, that he lived a perfect life that we need to live as humans, but we can't. He lived that perfect life. He was crucified on a cross and he died and he was buried for three days. And then he rose from the dead. He, he rose from the dead. And he saw hundreds of people and then he ascended into heaven. And on his ascension, he, he looks out over all of the earth and he says, it's mine now. And he sits down next to his father in this power of authority and position of authority. But what I love about this is he sat down. Happy New Year. I don't know if it was awkward for you, but it was just weird watching the New Year this year, right? There's a picture in New York City, ghost town. No one's there. I mean, the, <laughs> the news that we were watching was just weird. 
uh, the people that were doing no offense to them. Like it was just, it was just hard. It was just awkward. And I look at, I look at us, right? Nothing's changed. We're still spread out. We're still wearing masks. There's still people dying from, a, from COVID. There are still businesses shut down and people losing their jobs and losing their, their legacies that they've worked so hard for because of a disease. But I can read this passage and I can go, but Jesus sat down. He's not worried about this. He wasn't worried about this in the bubonic plague and when Martin Luther was trying to help people, he wasn't worried about this in the Spanish flu and Francis Grimke was trying to help people as a pastor in Washington, D.C. And he's not worried about it now. So now we get to our first greater. After he had provided purification for sins. After he said, it is finished. After he died for all of us, he sat down, sat down at the right hand position of authority and power of the majesty in heaven of his father. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is superior to theirs. We're going to look, he, he, author of Hebrews is going to expand this more next week. So I'm not going to dig into this a lot. What does he mean by this? But one thing that he does give us right here, or she is, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited. What is the name? Was well, what we've already seen again in context. He is the creator of the universe. He is their creator. He created the angels. He was there in the beginning with the Father. He is their master. He is our master. He is Lord. He is sustainer. He is the giver of life. So in closing, just an application, just one, one little one, and it's this. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than a pandemic. Jesus is greater than a loss of job. Jesus is greater than a loss of a loved one. Jesus is greater than a broken marriage. Jesus is greater than lust. Jesus is greater than addiction. Jesus is greater than pride. Jesus is greater than hypocrisy. Jesus is greater than selfishness. Jesus is greater than greed. Jesus is greater. And my prayer, again, as we continue through this marvelous book of looking at all of Scripture, as the author of Hebrews takes old and new and just continually says, it's all about Jesus. He is good. He is greater. I pray that we would see Jesus. There's an old hymn written by a woman, Ann Bartlett Warner. We don't sing this. Um, I don't think we've, I don't ever, we've ever sing it here at Hope, but I remember singing this as a child growing up in the church, and, and it's called We Would See Jesus. I just want to read two stanzas from this hymn. It says, We would see Jesus, for the shadows lengthen across the landscape of our life. We would see Jesus, our weak faith to strengthen for the last weariness, the final strife. We would see Jesus, the great rock foundation whereon our feet were set with sovereign grace, nor life, nor death, with all their agitation, can thence remove us if we see his face. We would see Jesus. He is greater. And it's not to downplay, it's not to minimize loss and suffering that we're going through right now. It's not at all. But Jesus is greater. He's superior. He's more fulfilling. 
He's more satisfying. And I pray this year, in 2021, that we would just see him more clearly as beautiful and we would savor him and treasure him. We're going to enter into a time of communion. And what a great way to see Jesus. There's nothing magical about how we do communion here. There's nothing magical about the elements. We believe that there is a spiritual presence of our God and Savior and the the bread, which represents his body that was broken for us, and the juice that represents his blood that was spilt and shed for us. As he's dying on the cross, he's able to cry out, it is finished. Jesus is greater. And we get to reflect on that. We get to partake of these elements. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church. All I would say is, do you see Jesus Do you recognize him as king? And if so, I invite you online to partake of elements. And if you're here, there's elements in the back and and, uh, little containers if you'd like to partake of those as well. We're going to sing and we're going to partake of these elements together. Would you bow your heads? Pray with me as we continue worshiping through communion and song. Father God, You are good, you are loving, you are gracious. You are loving, you are gracious because you sent your son. You didn't have to do that. But in your sovereign choosing in eons past, your self, the Trinity, decided that your son, the perfect image of yourself, would become flesh would live a life that we couldn't live, but we needed to if we wanted to see you, if we wanted to be forgiven. And he died. He died. He suffered for us. I pray that as we partake of these elements, that you would be honored, that you'd be glorified, and that we would see Jesus. And it's in his name that we're able to pray. Amen.